By the time I finish this introduction, 2,200 pounds of plastic waste have entered the world's oceans. That adds to the 8 million metric tons that ends up there each year. I'm Robert Colangelo, and this is Green Sense, where we bring you environmental innovations. This week, we discuss an idea that keeps plastic out of the oceans and creates economic opportunities. We're joined by Patrick Simpson of PKS Consulting. They've been working to launch mobile plastic ocean waste recycling systems in coastal communities. Patrick, welcome to GreenSense. Well, thank you for inviting me. I sure appreciate it. And, well, we uh, appreciate you I mean, calling I, all the way in, all the way from Alaska. Yeah, the bits are a little cold. You're going to have to warm them up when they get down there. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, give us your elevator pitch and take us through the process of how your system collects plastics along coastlines and converts it to recycled plastic lumber. So we're, we're starting, we're, we're not going to be collecting any additional plastic ocean waste to start with. There's several collection efforts that are underway in Alaska, um, six that are done on a regular basis each year. And what, what they're doing is they're bringing this plastic into port and taking it straight to the landfill. So what I'm doing is I'm taking that plastic and converting it into recycled plastic lumber. And I'm doing it in such a way that it's, it's a mobile process instead of a centralized process. So when you think about plastic recycling, oftentimes people think, we have to ship all this plastic to this big facility somewhere centralized and then convert it into whatever it's going to get used into. And I'm going to put all of that processing in a 40-foot container van and move the container van from community to community. And then they'll stockpile that plastic. I'll come in, process that into recycled plastic lumber, leave the lumber behind and sell it locally, and then move that processing system to the next community. How did this idea come about? Um, I was born and raised in Alaska, and um, I'm familiar with how things are remote and difficult and freight is expensive to make any new venture feasible. And I've been innovative my whole life. This is my fourth kind of major business that I've started. I've done things in sonar and underwater vehicles, and, and I had a company that made salmon oil for quite a while. And so um, it just was one of these things where I saw a need and I had some ideas and I started to ponder what those solutions might look like. And uh, that ended up with uh, where we're at now. Well, there's many different types of plastics. Uh, it, it is not homogenous. So how do you sort between the usable plastic and the non-usable? Great question. Um, so there's, there's six primary resin types. That if you look at what they call a recycling chart, um, you'll see these uh, triangles with a, with a number inside from one to six. One is PET or polyethylene terephthalate. Two is high-density high polyethylene. And threes and fours and fives and all the way up to six. And then seven is the catch-all. That's other. Um, so, for example, in Alaska, we have a lot of polyamide or nylon, which is um, a number seven. And each of those different types of plastics um, operate in a different way. And so in terms of mixing and matching, for example, the number twos and the number fives, polyethylene uh, and polypropylene work well together, but polyethylene terephthalate, not so good, has a higher melt temperature and it has different properties. So when we, when we take this plastic in, we sort it into these major categories manually right now, which isn't too difficult. There's hard plastics, there's rope, which is polypropylene, there's your bottles. And then we take each of those types, grind it, and then, then submit it into this process. So is that a challenge uh, having multiple plastic types? Not as much as the dirt. 
the contaminants are actually a bigger issue because they've been sitting on the beach. Um, oftentimes they're, they've collected a lot of sand and growth. Uh, there's algae. Um, so that becomes a bit more of a challenge is cleaning it than it is uh, sorting. The sorting is manually. You can even sort this stuff. The, 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 the easiest sort is you grind it all up and you throw it in a big tank of, of water, fresh water, and the PET sinks in the HDPE and the polypropylene floats. So yeah, then you like skim off the top. And at the same time, what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to scrub it up by you know, agitating that. So we're going to do kind of a combined wash uh, sort, uh, they call density separation, and then take that, dry it, and then, then um, melt it and extrude it into these forms that form the lumber. So, so I understand you use some high-tech equipment uh, here in the operation. You're going to employ drones and add aircraft. How does that work into the process? So if we take a step back, um, really looking at the problem of plastic ocean waste, I break it down into three primary areas. The first one is assessment. The second is collection. And the third is utilization. What we've just talked about was utilization. Once we've got the, the recycled plastic from the beach, what do we do with it? But in terms of the first two steps, which is assessment and collection, there's a lot of work that needs to be done there. Now, I haven't been funded to do that, but I have some concepts. So I'll share a couple of those with you. So for assessment, the first step, the idea of the use of drones or potentially bush pilots who fly the coast of Alaska regularly, they're, they're, you can use the cameras that are on board these aircraft and they can collect the data that can be used to determine where the density of the, the um, marine debris in general and the, the plastic ocean waste is in particular. And then you can go out and pick it up in those areas where it's most prevalent. Um, so that's one use of the drones. But the one that gets me excited is the drone garbage truck. And so there's um, a whole new class of drones being developed that are heavy lift. And some of them are fantastic. They can lift a thousand pounds. Hmm. And there's a company here in Alaska that's, that's developed one that lifts a hundred pounds and it's used for long haul operations, hundred miles or more non-line of sight. It's a, the company's called Turning and Heavy Lift. And we've developed this concept where you could put the marine debris or the plastic waste into small sacks on the beach. So you can imagine a canvas sack that's say two foot by two foot by two foot, sort of like a big Costco shopping bag. And you're going down the beach and you fill it up and then you let you set that above the high water line. And then the drone comes in, picks that up, takes it out, dumps it, brings it back empty. And the person that's on the beach continues to move down the beach and collect trash or what we call marine debris. So when I, when I went out on some of the collection exercises, the one thing I found that is so important is that we optimize the use of people. What we end up doing is we end up going to the beach and spending a lot of time hauling a bag back and forth up and down the beach and we're not collecting more marine debris. So I'm thinking to myself, how do we keep the most precious asset we have, the human, continuously collecting marine debris going down the beach in a single line or as much of a single line, straight line as possible, and not having them backtrack and become a freight system where they're just hauling things back to a centralized point, putting it on a boat, the boat goes to the bigger boat. So this is, this is where we're, we're, we're hoping that we can find some efficiencies with new technology and innovations for the collection side of this. So assessment, there's, there's smaller drones that can be used. And then the collection where we have these heavy lift or what I call marine debris drone, and then, of course, the, the utilization where we're talking about a, a mobile plastic uh, ocean waste recycler. 
Well, let's talk a little bit about the end product. Uh, you call it plastic lumber. It's not really lumber. It's plastic uh, like planks or or what, whatever. Forms. Yeah, plastic forms. Um, uh, can this be used in the same way as lumber, or does it have limitations, or it does it have benefits? Uh, there's some benefits. Let me let me talk about the limitations first. It's not going to be what I would call a construction grade material that you use in a home for building. Because it won't, it doesn't have the same um, material strength it, that a wood does. So it's much more flexible. If anybody's worked with, uh, say, Trex, which is a common um, uh, plastic material, I call plastic lumber, um, you'll notice that it's very flexible. And so when you're building a building, you don't want them to be flexible. You want them to be rigid and stiff. Um, so most of the uses of the plastic lumber, the plastic that I'm producing, would be outside in places like uh, gardens. Um, I'm using it initially for dunnage, which is where you have, you carry freight and you use it for blocking. Um, when a tremendous amount of wood is used just for that simple application. Um, you use it for retaining walls, pavers, you can use it to, to um, roof tile. So there's, there's applications that don't necessarily require it to be a rigid structure, but it can still allow it to have some of the benefits. Now the benefits are plastic doesn't degrade as quickly as wood. And in a coastal community like Alaska, where you have, well, I grew up in Cordova, Alaska, there's 150 inches of rain every year. Um, it's, it's right on the edge of being a tropical rainforest, and it gets worse as you go down the panhandle. Some of those places, they have over 200 inches of rain a year. So though the woods that they use, they tend to get a lot of mold and they, they rot quickly. So this has the advantage of having longevity. During COVID, uh, we heard many times that there was a lumber shortage and lumber prices went way up. Uh, does this add to the advantage of these plastic uh, planks? Uh, uh, do they become more cost effective now with the price of lumber still higher than it was, even though it's come down in price? Well, in, in all honesty, um, recycled plastic lumber will never compete dollar for dollar with regular lumber. Um, I, I think you can get a two by four, an eight foot two by four for say $2, $2.50. Um, it's going to cost you $7.50 for one of mine. Now mine will last three to five times longer, but oftentimes the calculus is done in your head when you're sitting there looking at the price at the retail store and not necessarily over the longevity of the project. But having said that, I mean, there's the, for recycled plastic lumber where they're using virgin, or excuse me, for plastic lumber where they're using virgin materials, we should be cost competitive. I think we can we can produce a product that is equal in price. And the reason we can is because shipping has been taken out of the equation. If we can produce the product locally in, in Alaska, in a coastal community, we don't have to absorb those extreme freight expenses to get something from what we call the lower 48 or the, the 48 contiguous states or some other country and brought in. Yes. As I mentioned, during COVID, two by fours down here in the mainland went as high as $12 a piece. So as, as I was getting at uh, the plastic boards became very competitive at that price. And, the, uh, and I think we're going to see more of that. I think there's, there's a lot of emphasis on the, the recycling of plastics. I, I think the number that, that I, I can, I can point at is like 10% of all, all the plastics produced are recycled each year. But I think that number is going to grow. I think there's just a tremendous amount of efforts in, in, in things like I'm doing, um, not just for plastic ocean waste and marine applications, but for reset residential waste streams, as well. People who haven't been to Alaska may not uh, realize just how big the state is, and it contains over 50% of the U.S. coastline. That's a pretty amazing fact. Uh, you envision this being used in any other coastal areas, this technology? So 
what I like when I'm in Alaska. So I, I was born and raised up here and I was a fisherman. I'm a, I am a fisherman's son. My father's still alive. He doesn't fish anymore, but I, um, I got to see a lot of these coastlines and, and just how big this area is. You get in a boat and you travel six days to get from one part of Alaska to another. And, and you really haven't traveled that far. It's, it's impressive. So we want to test this and prove it out here in Alaska in these areas. But then I, I see an application immediately in places, um, third world countries or, or developing countries like Malaysia, the Philippines, places that are highly impacted by plastic ocean waste, especially in their river systems where they have very poor or no uh, management of their waste. And, and so their, their waste goes into the river and um, it's floating down and it, it's, um, it's pervasive. So having this type of solution available where we could move a, a container in, bring our power with us so we can have our gen set and water with us, we wouldn't have to necessarily rely on local power and utilities. Then I think we've got a solution in hand that could then produce something useful and then turn that back around and put it back into the economy. The open ocean has the great Pacific garbage patch, which is uh, had a lot of uh, press lately. Uh, is there any application in open ocean waters to be able to collect uh, the, the large amount of plastic that's floating? Well, if they bring it in right now, that there's a, a, a very big project going on. I think it's Ocean Cleanup is the name of the organization. And it's a, a young fellow that um, uh, popularized the idea of cleaning up the garbage patch through a TED Talk done a couple of years ago. Um, and they're bringing it into British Columbia right now. And then they're processing it there in a large facility. So it's actually going to be converted into something useful. I think what they're doing is they're um, grinding it and pelletizing it. And then they're selling those pellets to other people who then turn it into downstream products. And they're doing that by different classes. So they're doing the sorting, cleaning, and grinding, uh, extruding into pellets and grinding and all that right in that one facility. Certainly this could be applied there. You could put this on a ship and take it out to the garbage patch if that seemed like a good idea to do the processing you know, locally to the garbage patch. Although um, other than condensing the material so that you don't have, you, you know, because one of the things you learn about plastics is it's not very dense. So if you're shipping stuff around, you want to condense it. So, but you could grind it, I think grinding it at the garbage patch so that it, it took up less space would make sense, but not necessarily maybe doing all of the processing we're doing. As I mentioned earlier, there's some economic opportunities here. Talk a little bit about your business model and how that creates economic opportunity. Well, the Alaska's coastal communities tend to be focused on one or two areas for income. One of them is fishing usually. And the other is tourism. And so, it, and that, that varies a little bit. For example, Cordova, the, the place where I grew up, it's not high tourism there because it is so remote. Um, you get a place like Sitka or Petersburg down in the Southeast in Alaska, it's a different story. But all of them have these kind of these two components. Um, but those fishing communities, when they're, when they're not fishing, they're not doing anything. And, and so they oftentimes are looking for other opportunities. So one of the, one of the, one of the models that I'm trying to promote is what I call compensated collection, where local fishermen who know these areas, they know the beaches, go out and collect the plastic ocean waste and bring it in, and I would purchase it from them. So I, I know from his, the, the data from the, the NOAA Marine Debris Clearinghouse that it costs between $1 and $6 a pound to clean up a beach. That's the, the ranges from one dollar. That's what that's what Noah's been paying, and that goes back 16 years. That's 2005 to 2020. So if I bought it from a fisherman 
that went out, collected that for 50 cents a pound. I'm doing it for half the cost. And yet my business model still works where if I buy the material at 50 cents a pound, I have to generate about $1.69 a pound in actual value. So if you, if you, if you use everything in terms of pounds, so I, I, if I only have another dollar in the processing of the 50 cent material I purchased, I still have a little bit of margin left over. So it turns out when I get to about two pounds of total plastic processed in a year, I'm at break even with that model. And that assumes that I'm purchasing it at 50 cents a pound from these compensated collection programs. I really feel like you get what you pay for. And here's another opportunity for someone, even if they're coming in off the fishing grounds and they can stop and pick up plastic for a day to pay for their fuel. A um, thousand pounds of plastic is $500. That would pay their fuel bill for that trip. So that's one way. Of course, selling the, the plastic locally creates some, some value. And then the jobs from the processing itself. But I think the compensated collection program is, is the one I'm most excited about for generating local income for, for the communities. This all sounds great, but what's your biggest challenge to get this off the ground? Well, up until recently, it had been finding um, the, the money to build the pilot system. Because the, the, even though this equipment is not necessarily new, um, but it's hard, it's hard to buy because it's expensive. So I've <laughs> I partnered with a company in New York State. I'm using used equipment and they're, um, they're working with me and I can fit within a, the budget that's available. And then the EPA's Small Business Innovation Research Program has given me the ability to do that pilot for two years. At the end of that two-year demonstration period with this actual equipment, then I'm in a position where I can show potential investors, um, here, it works. Here's what I've made. Here's what the product looks like. Getting to that point is the biggest challenge, is, is getting to the point where you actually have something that you can say, here, it works, and show them the actual product, and then you know, ultimately that it's used. And understanding the unit cost of what it costs to operate it and where your profit margins are. Yeah, as, so, as a good friend of mine says, you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. And, uh, That's the true. biggest challenge in startups. Um, so, you know, Alaska is a, a, a tough, rugged place. Uh, cleaning up beaches in, in inclement weather is tough work. Why do you do this and what's your biggest reward? Oh, I was, I'm a fourth generation Alaskan. Uh, as I mentioned, I've been on uh, fishing boats the early part of my life. I get tremendously seasick. So I, I had to figure out something else to do with my life <laughs> or I was going to be a very poor fisherman. Um, it's fishermen need to fish in all kinds of weather. Uh, and I, I really enjoy the, the pristine beauty. And I've seen these blights, um, these beaches that are just full of plastic and these big blue, black, white. I mean, it's just, there's all these different colors. And um, I think we can do better. Um, I think we can be better custodians of this environment. And I want it there for future generations. So that's part of it. The other part is I, I think, you know, this is a great way to make money. I'm not going to become a billionaire. But I, you know, it's a great way to make a living as I'm doing something good for the environment. I'm doing something good for the local communities. And at the same time, you know, I'm able to make a dollar too. So um, there's, there's those elements that kind of fit all together. Patrick, I enjoyed talking with you. I wish you the best of success. And I hope you get your idea off the ground as quick as possible because we need to get that plastic out of the environment and off the beach. Thank you, Robert. I appreciate your time. That's Patrick Simpson of PKS Consulting. Learn more about them at pksconsulting.biz. I'm Robert Colangelo, and this is GreenSense. Subscribe to our podcast at greensensefarms.com. And check out the GreenSense Minute on Thursdays and Saturdays on WBBM, News Radio 105.9, 
Chicago. <laughs>